Hello all, Sam Piccolotti with No Zero Days and NZD Fit podcast. Uh, come to you this morning with some really special guests and uh, excited for that introduction. I wanted to remind the listeners that uh, these podcasts are unscripted and unedited. And uh, I think it's probably the best way to get to know our guests. And uh, without further ado, let me get into uh, today's episode. We have joining us uh, what, have, what is Team Lowest Highest. And uh, the Team Lowest Highest consists of uh, three athletes, uh, Mohamed Lana, Lucas Onan, and Andre Kylik. Is that correct? Pretty darn close. Kylik. Kylik. Got it. Thank you very much. Uh, let, let me give you a little background on these guys. And uh, we're going to get into some dialogue that I know, I know the listeners are just going to, are just going to, go nuts over um, what you guys have uh, set off to do and have, and have already accomplished is, is just amazing. Uh, Muhammad uh, was born and raised in Morocco, the eldest of five children, parents of modest means. It came as a great shock to the family when he was born with a birth defect, uh, PFFD, that essentially left Muhammad without a femur in his right leg. His parents feared he would never walk. No one expected much of, of him with a physical disability and he'll admit that he didn't push himself much either. But sport has provided Muhammad with a new sense of freedom, has changed outlook on life, and led him to a race of some of the toughest events on the planet. Uh, he's above knee amputee, bronze medal in the 2016 Rio Paralympic Triathlon. First uh, AK to finish marathon, the Sables finisher. First AK to finish the Norseman Extreme Triathlon. Man, I, I'm interested to know what that is. Swam across the Strait of Gibraltar. And uh, how about it? Kona Ironman World Championships in 2014. Uh, Lucas Onan was born with a condition called arthrogryposis. Is that right, Lucas? You got it. Yep. Which has underdeveloped, which has left him with an underdeveloped left arm. Uh, but of course, it hasn't stopped him from getting involved in as many big adventures as possible. <laughs> and I've seen some of those. Uh, Lucas has an incredible attitude, of course, is relishing all kinds of challenges. Uh, no quit type attitude and has found his happy place running and climbing in the mountains. Uh, born with the uh, arthrogryposis uh, affecting his, his arm, he's still a two-time Leadville 100-mile run finisher, uh, has done all five Leadville events in one year, becoming a lead man. And man, we could spend, uh, we could spend an hour just talking about what, what a lead man uh, finisher consists of. And we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit. First ever to complete smoke and fire 400 with a disability, uh, mountaineering guide, ski instructor, and wilderness ranger. And I think you forgot to mention that you're also a, uh, a picnic. Uh, oh, yeah. Finisher, right? <laughs> put yeah, totally. Do I've done that a couple of times. That's <laughs> yeah. uh, right in my backyard. That's a fun one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a, a fun day on the mountains. That's, fun. That's on my list. And Andre... Uh, uh, is in 2003 was 23 year old student at his father's alma mater in the city of Prague. Andre wound up in the path of a uh, oncoming subway train and barely survived that with his injuries required both legs be amputated above the knee. He returned to Prague to resume his studies and his pioneering accomplishments show he didn't stop there. And uh, man, what a, what a list of accomplishments here. Double above amputee, first ever hand cycle solo Ram finisher, that's Race Across America. Uh, first ever wheelchair Ultraman triathlon finisher. 
Andre, Canada, Hawaii, Australia, and Israel. Yeah, they're fun. How to keep going. <laughs> oh, dude. Uh, Brazil, 135. Uh, SoCal, 400, 24-hour world time trial champion and, uh, and more. Two-time silver IT world championship, 2012 para-athlete of the year uh, with number one world ranking and Ironman world champion. Man, welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for having us, Sam. It's nice to meet you. Yeah. Pretty stoked. No doubt. Uh, so, team lowest highest. I want to. I want to introduce what what that concept is to the folks. If um, if one of you would give a, a short description of what that is, and then I'm interested in finding out how that came about. Sure. Yeah. Um... Lucas, why don't you go over what it is and then I'll tell the Genesis story. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So lowest highest is this uh, crazy brainchild of Andre and uh, a previous partner that he had uh, that kind of came up with the idea and um, Andre uh, kind of branched off and created a new team and he was pretty excited to to get at this adventure. It's basically around the idea of going from the lowest point in elevation on every continent in the world to the highest point, uh, all human powered. Um, and Andre basically thought of me and Muhammad to join the team and gave us a call. I was like in an airport on a, uh, layover and he's just like, Hey, I just want to know if you are interested in this and joining on this team. And I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> and basically that was the conversation. I hung up and had to go catch my flight. And, uh, so yeah, that basically, I guess, changed my life a little bit at that moment uh, and then what was that two months later we were getting on a flight to South America uh, after intense planning as much as we could and preparation even though we were still still a little underprepared but uh you know we did what we could and we were just like we just got to make it happen so we went down to South America and earlier this year right before the COVID crisis and um and completed that the South America version we went from Laguna del Carbon, uh, Southern Patagonia, biked, was it like 1800 miles to Aconcagua? Uh, for, it was like, we averaged about 120 miles a day for 14 days straight, wow. and then got on the mountain and climbed Aconcagua. Um, yeah, and that was, uh, it was quite the adventure. So did that, finished that up right before COVID hit, got back, like right as things were shutting down from COVID and uh, it was a wild adventure and then yeah so we got that one knocked out though and I'm um, trying to go to Europe next so that's a very brief I guess synopsis of that so yeah well I, yeah. I've got a lot of questions and of course I, I had a chance to uh, you know just meeting you Lucas in uh, January uh, and you know prior and had had the opportunity to uh, you know get acquainted and follow your you know your adventure down there just simply amazing. So I want to talk about that, but um, yeah, where did the, where did the concept, Andre, where did the concept originate? So in, let's see, in 2013, I was doing this race in Brazil. Um, it's kind of my first ultra and it's this gnarly 135 mile, like 33,000 feet of, of climbing all on dirt roads. And I just kind of created this off-road wheelchair and went down there to see if I could do it. And on the very first hill, which was, you know, very steep and like 10 kilometers long. 
Um, this guy walks by, shakes my hand, introduces himself, and then continues walking. And after the race, he's telling me that as he's walking off, he's telling his buddies that there's no way this dude is finishing this thing, this guy in, in the wheelchair. And, uh, and so it comes to turn out that uh, he, he's pretty well-known ultra runner. His name's Charlie Ingle. Um, I want to say 2006, he ran across the Sahara Desert. Uh, forget the year, but um, yeah, averaging, I think it was 111 days of running at least 42 miles, um, I believe, from the foot in the Atlantic Ocean off Senegal to uh, the Red Sea off Egypt. Nobody had ever done, and, and the guy just had this crazy story, um, was into this kind of stuff, and, um, you know, was kind of the kind of guy I wanted to, <laughs> to hang around. And so we, we kept in touch. He wrote a, an article um, about me in the Brazil race and started talking about this project he had um, thought of doing uh, to go from the Dead Sea to Mount Everest. So that was the lowest to highest points um, in the world. And uh, you should check out his, his story. It's a wild one. He was in prison, in prison when he sort of dreamed this up. Although uh, there are, there are um, some people that have, have done that in a version. So he asked me if I'd want to come along for some part of it. And I was like, no way, man, I'm coming for the whole thing. <laughs> and so we started working on it and it evolved from there um, in a big part because of my lack of mountaineering experience um, to encompass all continents. Uh, it was also something that hadn't been done before. And, you know, just working away on it, we each had our own projects, but fundraising and all those things were pretty challenging. Um, so really for no other reason than to try to kind of try something else. Um, we parted ways, at least you know, on that project, um, just about six months before ended up going with, with these guys to South America. And so basically what, what happened is, um, you know, he, he uh, kept working on, on it on his side. Uh, I kept working on my side. A guy came through with a little bit of cash and I was like, all right, that's, that's a starting point. Um, there's about two months until the best sort of window or sort of closing window. So I called up these guys on the phone. I recorded the phone calls because I knew they were just going to be giddy like school kids. And uh, they were they were in and we started planning and and off we went um, and kind of started in South America because, you know, it's a little less expensive. It's a little easier to figure out your fully contained within Argentina, so it's not really borders to cross. Um, the mountain, uh, we can get into that. It's still a pretty hard one. It was, it was basically hard enough to stop me from uh, summiting, but it is, you know, a good one to sort of cut your teeth on and get and gain some experience. So that, that was the plan. And then uh, we hope to just keep ticking them off as, you know, money and, and global um, travel restrictions allow and uh, you know here we are working on on europe really just going to plan it and and expect to go and if things change they change but we gotta we gotta me, be active let me back you up so where, where did where did you find lucas and and muhammad well i think i we were trying to remember, I'm almost positive that Muhammad and I met uh, in Beijing in 2011. 
um, racing paratriathlon world um, championships or the international triathlon uh, union, whatever they call it. So uh, we go pretty, uh, pretty far back and just raced a lot because at the time we were both racing paratriathlon. And one of the reasons I didn't like paratriathlon is you just have to continually travel and race and get points to go to uh, Paralympics. So uh, all this travel for a one hour race and I was kind of into the longer stuff, but he, you know, he was taking on these epic challenges along the way. I knew he had done marathon de Saab, uh, you know, swimming the Strait of Gibraltar. And I was kind of off doing my own long distance stuff. And, you know, he just has that, that winning smile and an amazing attitude. And I just in the back of my head, it was always like, you know, I want to go do something with Muhammad at some point you know, part of the, the background on, on, on that, it's not like we just like, Oh, made each other and let's go do something. It's so hard to, to pull these things off. And I, I didn't realize that because you only look at that. You only see the um, successful expeditions, the ones that get funded yeah. and get out there. So, you know, it's kind of like take whatever you can get and, and kind of dream a bunch of dreams and, and try to make them happen. Um, so then Lucas in 2000, 17 we met during the uh, challenge athletes foundation uh does this million dollar challenge they ride from san francisco to san diego every year and i met him uh, on that ride down the coast i think it was like the first or second day he was in a pace line riding i hadn't met him because i was like late to the start of this thing and um i rode past him and uh, you know, it was like mountain bike bars or flat bars, I think, and like a, a camelback. And I just remember, you know, he's kind of in this slow group and rode past him and just thought, oh, you know, here's this new guy. Didn't think much. Uh, and then a few days later, we got into a breakaway and it was like a bunch that broke down to like eight people, then six, then four. And we were riding all out for a long, long ways. And Lucas and another rider just like sailed off into the sunset. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, that's a strong, a strong rider. And yeah, he's just got the, you know, the spirit, enthusiasm and love for the mountains. And um, so we had kept in touch and done a couple other things. I was up in uh, Breckenridge. We went uh, Nordic skiing together. And uh, so, yeah, those were the, those were the absolute, there was no other, two guys on on my list to to go and do this and and I didn't even really think about it in the terms of like oh we have this you know team of three guys that all do things a little differently you know you got your one arm one leg no legs uh until we were a team and then I was like oh that's a cool you know side note to this story and and I think that's great because we were just three guys that wanted to take on a challenge I want to ask and Andre I'll start with you you're do you have, did you have an athletic background? I know you, because you were 23 when, when you had your accident. Yeah, I did. I, um, I wasn't focused in any one thing, but I did everything. I grew up, you know, playing all sports, uh, played, let's see, in, just in high school, it was like golf, cross country, football, tennis. And there's another one that I can't even remember, uh, but windsurf, snowboard, like everything I could get my hands on, uh, I did. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, you know, obviously the uh, the stoke for sport was already there, but uh, but nothing on the endurance side, right? No, um, there, there really wasn't. And I think a lot of the like stoke for sport was was doing new things. And I, I learned 
quickly and was pretty good. Like I wasn't like the best at any one of them. Maybe if I'd spend a little more time <laughs> on any one thing, like that's how you get kind of that to that level. But uh, I think that's kind of what endurance and especially adventure racing um, did. It's, it's like you can focus on one thing, but it's always a new adventure. It's always new places um, and new mode of, of getting yourself around under your own power and, and figuring it out. You know, for me, a lot of these, there's no, there's nobody else doing a lot of the things that I'm doing. So there's not like, Oh, you go buy this piece of equipment and then you use it and go up. It's all sort of engineering and, and, um, you know, dreaming up the solution. And that's, I, I love that part. We're, we're, I'm curious during the, uh, during the Ultraman stuff, were, were you the only challenged athlete in, in that event? Yeah. So I think outside of, uh, so Kona Ironman has a, has a wheelchair sort of division, hand cycle division. Um, outside of that, everything else that I've pretty much ever done, that's, uh, you know, an ultra, I'm the only one there, the only one who's ever done it. Some cases, someone else has tried, uh, like Ultraman, um, Hawaii, um, was attempted actually by the first guy to really put down a good time at Kona, um, he wasn't able to finish. And so it's awesome, you know, cause you show up and you sort of get the all oh, sweet story. And then, I don't know, I think I was like, I can't remember what position I came in Ultraman Hawaii, but there, I think I was like fifth or something overall. Um, yeah. Certainly in the top 10, uh, there's not that many people there. Well, that's what or, I was just going to yeah. say. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the numbers on those events, I mean, they're, I don't know, maybe two dozen people or something or, yeah but that's what's cool is because then you're really out there doing like the same thing you know that that whole um race uh field is doing and especially on a bike you know i can really be kind of toe-to-toe with with them and that's what i you know like to do go see um not try to change the race um sometimes it takes some convincing to get um the chance to go i mean i've certainly and especially once you have a resume like some of the ones that I've done basically should open any door for any ultra anywhere. Um, and, and, you know, still sometimes you'll get, no, it's been a while, but you know, they're, they're worried about um, kind of what they have to do to um, have you participate. And I'm like, nothing, <laughs> don't do anything. <laughs> I'll just come. You don't even know I'm there. Uh, that kind of thing. But yeah, that's it's cool because one, I see the transition from when I show up to when I leave of the, of the other participants, you know, but when I leave, I'm just one of them. And, you know, we all, we all, it's kind of a tight circle of support and awe at what each other are doing. Um, and uh, I can't remember the other part, but yeah, they're fun. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Muhammad, uh, your, your background, uh, any, any athletic, experience before getting in all this crazy adventure stuff um so in morocco like every kid uh, just starts playing soccer so this is the sport that we do every day yeah. every day uh so growing up we just opened the door and we are in the soccer field with any kids around so this is this is like the sport that I grew up doing um so but i was i was excited to for middle school and high school because this is in middle school where we start uh, like physical education but um, 
the first day I went there, uh, the the PE uh, teacher told me that I can't be part of the school. Because, uh, I, I can't be part of the program because I have a disability. So they took the class completely from my curriculum, and uh, which is I still it still hurt. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I think any idea any idea that uh, teacher knows where you are today. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should go track him back. You send him a postcard. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, soccer, uh, I had the chance to do swimming uh, also on the side, but this is outside of school or anything. Uh, when I was uh, 12. And uh, yeah, uh, that, was, that was it until I was 22 when I first started cycling. Uh, for the first time, I, I learned to cycle at that age. And uh, yeah, since then, uh, I, I'm still cycling. Um, and you've, got then swimming, I, you've got a swimming background then, right? Yeah, so um, uh, my, my dad met this Paralympic athlete who is a Paralympic swimmer in Morocco. And uh, he took me with him to a swimming pool with him and introduced me to swimming. And uh, I, I started swimming with this group of uh, uh, athletes with different disability in Casablanca. And uh, I, I like this for four years. We gather every Saturday to swim for like an hour or two. And uh, this is this is how I had uh, like swimming in my background. And uh, yeah, we were like in Morocco at the time. Unfortunately, things went down lately. There is no more the past few years there is no more swimming or anything like that. But uh, back in the time, it was a big team. It was all this um, big guy. I was the little one in the group. And uh, all these big guys, uh, very cool guys, like with different disabilities. And seeing all of them trying to, like, like doing work and doing their, their, their life, but also making that, uh, that sacrifice and coming to the, to the practice every weekend. Uh, growing with that, uh, I learned a lot from them, especially seeing all of them with different disabilities and different uh, stress of life doing this on the side. Uh, like, this is what keeps me in the loop with them. And, uh, but it was nothing like I'll be racing because uh, it was very low profile. It's just like gathering every weekend to swim. Uh, we were racing Morocco, but the national level was very was very low. I just give you like a, a perspective, like the able body uh, champion of like a, a hundred meter freestyle. Uh, if you go to the Paralympics in my category, who will be beaten by the top um, in in my category, like racing the Paralympics. So uh, the level of the Paralympic swimmer was really high even for able body in Morocco. Right, right. Um, so what you're saying, yeah, the, even the, the able-bodied uh, swimming uh, uh, community, if you will, wasn't, wasn't that well-established or that competitive, right? Yes, yes. And um, uh, so, yeah. So the, I'm curious, with, with the swim across the Strait of, of Gibraltar, um, how far is that? Uh, it's 15, 15 kilometers. I and I, how, how long ago was, was that swim for you? So for me, it took uh, 
uh, four hours. No, I mean, what, when did you do it? What what year was that? Oh, so that was like, um, what was like 2009 or something like that. Uh, everything has changed because like for me, uh, growing up, the English, the, 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 the Gibraltar Strait, it's something that's out of mind. I can't do it. I can't afford it. I can't dream of it at all. And it was just staying there somewhere in, in, my, in my list, but I had no, I didn't have the courage to even start thinking about it. But uh, when I start doing those cycling events, my first event was in 2004, where I learned how to swim, uh, to, to cycle, and uh, we went across Morocco for four, 500 kilometers. And that was the first, eye opening for me because I can do this. I did 500 kilometers in a week. This is huge. And the following year, I did another event going all the way to the Sahara on, on a bicycle, bikepacking. Um, and that was for me, like, I remember my parents were so worried about me hitting this trip and so scared and almost they didn't want me to go. But I did that. And again, like, I went from 500 kilometer to a 1700 kilometers and now I can do this so it, it, it turned out at that time I started working I started making money and I remember the decision of contacting to have a, a safety boat with me get the, all the paperwork because I'm going from um, Europe to Spain uh, from Spain to Morocco uh, it was very scary, but once you make the first step, I'm gonna go for this. Then everything disappeared and you start like planning, start training. And uh, I think the, the, the Gibraltar Strait was one of those events that I was so scared just from uh, thinking about doing this project. Uh, it turned out a really fun project. <laughs> um, I, I just like got got married and then we drove to Tarifa the, the, the same night. Uh, we were spending a week there waiting for for the window for the 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 the, the window to do the swim. And uh, I remember I remember it was like the World Cup final and Spain was in the final and won the the world the soccer World Cup final. And nobody was sleeping in that town. It was so noisy. Sure people partying and I had to be ready at 5 a.m. <laughs> and I couldn't sleep. The fireworks, people are partying. And so with my wife, we just went out and started partying with them, enjoying the moment. And then without the sleep, we just went to the, to the swim. And uh, it, was, it was fun. Uh, uh, I didn't pace myself very well, so I went too hard. Uh, and uh, in the middle of, of the swim, I remember I started vomiting. Um, it was the current was crazy. The water uh, temperature changes because it, it's it's like the the flow between the Mediterranean and the Atlantic like keep changing. And sometimes we would spend like thirty minutes in the same position, right? Like right. not moving at all, like no progress whatsoever. But you need to keep stroke after stroke. Uh, I still remember like I had this dolphin. I mean, I didn't know it's a dolphin, but something went by so fast. And I stopped like this and look at the boat 
and I was so scared. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop here and get in the boat. And the guy said, "Don't worry, it's just a dolphin." And he said, "Look, look, he's over there." <laughs> and then, and then I, I, I kept going. But uh, yeah, that was that was a huge event that just launched me to all the other stuff that, that I did after. Yeah, so you know, marathon swimming in itself is, you know, it's just a formidable task, man. But like you said, I've got a number of friends that are marathon swimmers. And between the uh, dealing with the currents and the cold water temperatures and 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 the uh, sea creatures, <laughs> <you know. laughs> so um, let let's uh, let's chat a little bit about uh, South America. I, you know, I, I got I had a chance to to follow you guys on that quest. You started uh, Laguna del Carbon, which is. Uh, What's the elevation or lack thereof? Oh, minus Negative. ninety. Uh, isn't it three? Three hundred yeah, something. <laughs> three, it's like negative three forty-one or something yeah, like that. That's what I thought. Ninety yeah. meters, I believe. So, it's a. Uh, it, it's it's despite the name of, you know, it being a lake. It's it's not a lake anymore, right? Hundred and five meters. I looked it up for you all. Uh, yeah, it's a dried, you know, lake bed. It's it's uh, there's a lot of um, kind of salt flats around. It's the lowest one. Obviously, there's water in there sometimes, but it's really deep, um, you know, in southern Patagonia. It's in Santa Cruz province. Um, you know, basically, Tierra del Fuego is your next stop. Um, in Ushuaia, kind of the end of end of Argentina. So very remote. I mean, we landed. Like I said, we had, you know, kind of two months to throw this together and it was basically a six week expedition, you know, with a, a, a massive bike ride and then, you know, a, a big mountain climb, you know, potentially like 21 day itinerary on, on the mountain. Um, so it was, a, it was a lot to figure out. Um, I've certainly never done as much as I did in those two months, um, you know we landed without a vehicle we basically had been given a car to use that was supposed to be a cargo van but it was something more like a honda fit <laughs> which wasn't gonna work and so we i mean you know muhammad talking about not sleeping for straight to Gibraltar. that's that's like always the case you're going to try these extremely difficult things and you throw on top you know the the effort it takes to get ready and then sleep deprivation because you're never well rested before it so it was like nonstop to get down there. And we hopped in this RV. We drove 30 hours pretty much straight. We had to stop in a, in a city for, you know, some errands here and there. Um, got to the start. We found out the start is a natural gas facility where it looks like just remote nothingness. But there's a long, pretty 20K, I think, dirt road into the low point, um, And you cannot access it. Uh, it's gated off and part of this facility. So a uh, local mountain bike team, there's a, was this Bahia Blanca? No, no, Puerto San Julian. Puerto San Julian. It's a very small town. I mean, it looks like an outpost, you know, in, in Alaska or something uh, along the, along the coast. And this mountain bike team, uh, shoot, I don't know, 25 strong or so showed up. Yeah, they, had gotten, they had gotten permission. We were expecting from, five. <laughs> was this just by, just by coincidence did they show up or did you guys have we, contact 
ahead of time. We landed and met the distributor for SRAM in South America. Uh, SRAM was one of our sponsors and uh, they, you know, he showed up at the airport to see if we needed any help. And yeah, we we needed a lot of help. Yeah. So the whole route, he was contacting people in different towns. I mean, people would stop by or just at night, like having dinner and people would roll up on us and have a conversation. And they're like, oh, yeah, Juan Carlos sent, sent me and told me us you'd be here. So he contacted this mountain bike team and I mean, totally saved really the expedition i don't know what we would have done otherwise um and they got permission from this facility to to go you know take like a short safety class and then get um, access so we all rode together to the start so that that part of the uh the adventure in the course you guys had uh you had hopes of ahead of time of of utilizing that road but didn't know that you weren't going to be able to get in there yeah, with a quick of it, just because this was kind of my my part of looking at the map. I mean, there's nothing down there. So you, you kind of like, it's not photos either. There's just, um, there's just the highway and then, and then scrubland and then the low point. So I'm just looking on Google satellite, you know, <laughs> checking it out. And I'm like, okay, that looks like maybe it's like five, you know, K or something to the thing. So we'll just go over there <laughs> and hit the low point. I mean, that's how simple it is. Uh, and and uh, of course, it's like, as you're getting down there, you're, you're kind of learning more about each step just because you got to cram it in and you just have to prioritize like what you're, what you're doing in preparation. And we had to buy mountain gear, like all of this stuff. I was up late into the night talking with these guys going through everything. So it's just like, okay, this can be deferred. You know, we just get down there. We walk over to the low point and start the ride. That's like as much bandwidth as we had to put into it. And then, you know, and then we hear like Juan Carlos, you know, say like, oh, that's like, it's impossible. And like the second you hear those words, you know, from someone who's local and that kind of knows the area, it's just devastating. And uh, <laughs> you're just like quickly trying to come up with workarounds. Bummer. So that was the expectation. We get down there and learn it's a little more challenging. And then. Um, those guys, uh, you know, Lucas and Tay, we had, you know, the route mapped, but like our, our timeline was super tight and we hadn't accounted for this first day. So you guys, you, you set off from, from the desert, you're hand cycling. Uh, the other two guys are on, uh, on uh, what type of bikes? Were they, right, we bikes? had gravel bikes. Gravel bikes. Yeah, yeah so Specialized also uh, was a sponsor and they provided us with some uh, the Diverge bikes, uh, which were awesome. Um, we were we were kind of expecting to be a little bit more off-road because um, we were our original plan was to go through Chile and then up uh, at least along the border to, to kind of parallel the Andes. Um, but we kind of had to be due to time restrictions with the mountain um so that was another another thing like when we were flying into buenos aires i was basically on the phone with some mountain guides because i was uh some guiding companies because i had been researching like crazy on on guiding companies but we didn't know what our budget was until what like two weeks or a week before we flew out or something so it was really interesting we were like well are we, can we get guides even can we do that and then uh finally it came in we're like all right we got to so I was like talking with mountain guides on the phone to see what would work. And then I get this company that I liked um, after talking with multiple, that was just a little, a little sketchy in my opinion. And then when 
found one that I really liked and was like, okay, these guys sound good. Um, but we were there so late in the season, they were going to shut down the mountain. So I was just going to ask we found, the seasonality of, of the climbing, right? So you were, yeah. you were on the closing part of that, huh? Exactly. Yeah. They, they completely shut down the mountain to all travelers um and then Which I just the interject we did know it's 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 surprising how challenging it is to find like accurate information so i believe yes. <laughs> yeah luke as you can say i think we thought it was the last day of march or february uh, but it turns out it's like the 24th of february so yeah was... uh i yeah well from my research online it was like march 1st was the last day you had to be on the mountain and then, so I was like, okay, like, we'll be fine. Like we get, gives us more time on the bike ride. Um, and then, uh, getting in contact with some of these guides. Cause I couldn't come in contact with the, um, there's a government building in Buenos or, uh, Mendoza that has, does the issuing for permits and there's like no phone number on them. I tried emailing them multiple times throughout the last months and didn't get a hold of anybody. So I was like, you know, kind of in the dark and just kind of found some random blogs online that kind of said around when uh the the mountaineering times and uh dates were so based off of those i even had some guidebooks and i was like man when is this thing so i was i was thinking it was march 1st and then um contact the guide company and you know we're telling tell them our plan and they're like yeah it's uh you need to be on the mountain by it was like six days before what we were expecting um and because they're like, we're shut, we shut down the mountain. So we're like, well, we got to change our bike route then. Uh, Cause we were planning to do kind of a longer route through these really beautiful parts. Um, you know, awesome lakes and stuff and go through the mountains more. We're like, well, now we got to just go di the most direct way and put in as much miles in as we can. For day say, to get this so now, yeah. Now you're adding the pressure of, of keeping the, keeping the daily mileage up and uh, right. Yeah. And we, put that hustle behind it. So you guys, totally. I, think, we were, I, yeah. I think our original uh, average um, for the, the plans number of days was like, I think we had an average depended on the route, but it was like 95 to 107 miles a day. And basically at the end of day one, by the delays we had, and then the shorter amount of time and that short day, because we didn't expect it to be so hard to get to the low point. Um, I think we had to average 135 miles uh, a day from there. So it was a pretty big difference. And you had to choose the flat straight of Eastern Argentina. Yeah. And you're, and you're self-supporting uh, self through, through this, right? I mean, you had, we had a, we had the RV follow us. Yeah. Um, so we were able to, yeah, we were able to utilize that, which was nice. Um, yeah, but there are, no we aid, were... there are no aid stations. You know, you're not in a, no. you know, this, you know, I think, you know, people start to appreciate the, uh, the complexity of, of what you guys are getting into. It's not like you just show up and everything's laid out for you and all you got no, to I mean, put in we, work, we right? actually, oh, no. <laughs> we actually had sort of all these different plans um because we there's so much was unknown we we're just like okay worst case scenario this is what we're doing you know next best safe case scenario dream scenario um so i had a buddy of mine um brian nelson um come down and he was shooting you know stills and video but also moving along basically all of our stuff so um it was he wasn't there um so much to like i mean he totally supported us but he wasn't there so much to support 
Um, we were just trying to figure like logistically if we shipped our stuff to Mendoza for the mountain and then we went down and just kind of rode. Um, but there was, I mean, there was 250 kilometer stretches without a building down there. Um, and, and like, I think several of those. <laughs> so having, you know, food with us and just a place to like, just pull over, jump in, um, jump in the vehicle and sleep, uh, for the night, you know, rather than like always having to search for a place to, uh, you know, bivy and, and find food along the way it definitely streamlines the whole thing uh you know idealis idealistically and, and romantically we'd love to just be out there kind of bike packing our way um which would be cool but but a big part of like the big miles and the support and getting there is just the amount of time i mean there's no way we we do south america you know in like under five weeks and i don't know what our total like four and a half weeks um, it'd probably be a four week ride, you know, just, just getting ourselves there. So it's self-supported. Yeah. So it's 2000, yeah. 2000 kilometers or, or so, uh, to the mountain you guys had self-propelled. It was about 1800 miles. 1800 miles. Yeah. And we still, I mean, we got to the Mendoza and then in the foothills, um, we rode like the most gorgeous gravel road I've ever been on, ever seen um every hillside you could see was just a serpentine of switchbacks that you had just climbed we got up to about 10,000 feet caught our first glimpse of Aconcagua and a cold rush of wind um <laughs> had some food and then went down to this uh Uspallata and, and slept in some bunk beds in some locals house down a dirt road it was pretty awesome and then that kind yeah, of that completed. was like the best day on the bike the for sure day. <laughs> I gotta so imagine nice. that you know with the the experience that you had interacting with the uh with the local population had to be you know uh pretty inspiring. it was the best part yeah. of the whole yeah of the whole trip that's something that we definitely want to try to uh to share a little bit more it's it's hard to kind of like capture those if one if one of us uh, lucas is a pretty good writer but uh was a better writer like maybe we'd be able to to adequately sort of share but we got our butt saved at every turn you know, by locals, we had, yeah. you know, from like swimming in the river with these truck drivers that, that we <laughs> met, um, have, just having meals and people's curiosity and sure. um, it a lot right lost in, RV in translation. <laughs> it was, it yeah. was pretty cool. They I were, think I, I think I saw a piece. Did, did you guys meet along the way? Uh, maybe a, a young boy that had also had a disability that you just happened to encounter? It was a young girl, um, okay. uh, and actually, it was this uh, small, small, very small town, um, like two restaurants in it. And we um, we were eating, and then the family started telling us about their um, little girl and showing us video of her singing. And I want to say, I just actually came across the photo. I've emailed with them a bit um, that she was, she was born without either arm, so no arms beautiful little girl uh singing around and so they like had no clue kind of what was going on and then as they kind of started figuring out like the owner of the restaurant's outside i'm showing my bike to all these kids and he's asking questions and like typing translations you know and and he starts sticking his head in the restaurant and he's like oh they you know he came from california and <laughs> oh they're riding all the way across argentina and wow, they're going to climb Aconcagua and just kind of this building excitement around um, what we were doing. 
that was kind of a common, you know, thread down the way. Some people like we wouldn't even get into what the heck we were doing. It's just like, hey, three random, you know, guys, one of them on a very weird bike uh, just rolled through town. Uh, but that's that's kind of the fun is, um, you know, just showing up. I mean, the lowest and highest point on all these continents, like the, the, the route between them is a totally arbitrary route. You're just going to cross, you know, a, a slice of that continent, which is going to include wilderness, rural areas, some cities, and a lot of places that there's no other way you would ever go see them. And, you know, some of them are pretty pretty normal and you just meet you meet some some really cool people and some places are just spectacular um and they're all wonderful <laughs> it's pretty I good can imagine you're you're leaving a, a trail of inspiration behind you you're, you're probably not even aware of so did you uh did you end up making it to to the mountain uh on time or with time to spare we did well the literally we arrived the day we were supposed to arrive on yeah with not with really no time to spare at all Wow. They gave us a date and we were like, okay, we have to, we basically created the trip around that, around the, or the cycling portion around that, did what we could to bust it out. And um, yeah, we were able to get it done. So we got there, yeah, at the base of the mountain, literally the day that we needed to be there. Um, and uh, then we just, we stashed our bikes and uh, we were able to start climbing after that. So, so we set out on foot. So how, how many days did you did you uh, buffer for, for the ascent? Uh, we didn't really, we, we wanted to buffer more. Uh, I had a buffer <laughs> of, I think we, I think I put 21 days total uh -huh. um, on the mountain. And I think we only spent like what, 12 days on the mountain um, because basically we were cut short so much because they were just shutting down the mountain. Um, like we got, got to a that, certain you point. You had that added pressure now of, right like they were literally we were the last ones on the mountain last party like uh, of the season on any part of the mountain and uh like the rangers were up there kind of like you know they were there for us because they knew they were still a party on the mountain um and it became a, we a weather window and you know we wanted to kind of hang out a little bit more to, uh, to get more acclimated um i mean i know both andre and muhammad were feeling uh, the altitude pretty good and uh we're like, well, if maybe if we can hang out, you know, wait out this next storm, we'll be feeling better. And they're just basically everybody on the mountain was like, no, like you guys are either you can either go up or you're done, you know, or you just all go down, um, take this next weather window just because it was. Yeah, just the time. It's hard to say. It, it's hard to say how much was that there wasn't another side to that weather. Um, you know, the storm was coming. It was like right. five days out. It was like five, five days days, out. It was yeah. just getting worse and worse. Um, and then they didn't have in information past that. Um, but I think it was also combined with like, we're all done <laughs> for this season and ready to go home. Yeah, right. So it was yeah. like, there really wasn't the option to hang out and wait five days. But that, yeah. that shortened your, uh, your acclimation, right? Yeah, it did. Like we were still able to, to take some uh, to acclimatize and take some days to go up and come back down and, and do that somewhat properly. But, you know, once you get up, you know, to 18,000 feet, you know, you start feeling it uh, for sure. Anybody will. And we just, yeah, more days would have been nice to be able to kind of go up and come down and um, just hang out at that altitude. But uh, um yeah, we had to kind of make a push for it. And so 
Uh, it kind of came down to me and Muhammad uh, decided to make a push. Um, Andre had had a hell of a day getting up to 18,000 feet. He came from camp one, which was at 16.5 uh, up to 18, what is it, 18.3, all on his hands. Um, uh, you know, if, no, if, no if, chair. Uh, yeah, if there was, if there was a video clip, uh, you know, that, that would drive inspiration. I've never seen anything like it, Andre, uh, you know, watching, uh, you know, watching that effort, you know, on your hands, uh, through that section, I, you know, you guys shared that on Facebook. It's just incredible, credible, uh, effort. Uh, yeah, and he actually did that from base camp at four, what, 14, five, all the way up to 18, five. So, yeah. Um, so it's like, what is it? 30 kilometers from the park entrance to base camp, uh, a, a big chunk of that's through a big broad Valley. Um, so I was able to get the wheelchair, um, this off-road custom built by a bunch of bike fabricators, but, uh, um, full moon bikes and Chris Holzner, like, well, did this thing basically got it completed just before I left as well. And we, we got that all the way to base camp. Um, there's some sections where Lucas woods, I mean, like we couldn't figure out how these mules would come down some of the trail uh and lucas would have my wheelchair muhammad would have my pack and they'd go you know up this section and then i would scramble up um but then when we left base camp for camp one you know there was like there's no there's no more wheelchairing <laughs> it wasn't going two steps past um base camp and yeah i was on on my hands and um sort of doing a, a monkey crawl uh, my big concern really with that was, was that it wouldn't be fast enough, you know, that, you know, maybe the distance between base and, and, and camp one or um, camp one and camp two would be longer than a day. And I wouldn't be able to make those gaps. Um, you know, as it turns out, one, I was just getting a lot better at it every, every day, you know, so I, I certainly um, need more time on mountains and just on hills and, and training and getting stronger um that way but uh i guess after camp one i was feeling good the whole way mom had had his bouts of of vomiting and recovery um even at the pre-base camp um confluencia stop but he kept bouncing back and i was like hey this thank thankfully he's bouncing back and i'm you know i know lucas is gonna be fine because he's he lives in the mountains. Um, at least we were banking a lot on him being fine because yeah. he was carrying so much gear. Um, and at, at uh, the day between camp one and camp two, we stopped partway for, for a meal. And after that, it just hit me. You know, we, we had crossed um, a 5,000 meter point. And I, you know, it was like every few steps or every few hops for me, I could have stopped for 10 minutes and I was just like, just keep moving, just keep moving. And I got to camp two. I like fell into my tent. Um, they were up there before me and, you know, set all that up um, with my pack still on. And like, I literally started crying. I was, um, I, I don't really completely know why, but I was like, I was gassed. It was a hard day. And from there, just started to You're at 18, five, that's why. <laughs> yeah. Eight, just put in a huge effort. <laughs> I was just that thinking, would be why. <laughs> when, when am I going to get, you know, used, used to this air? Uh, Lucas went and, and broke ice to get water out of a pond. And we started boiling that kind of fell asleep in the sun of a, of a dining dome and just woke up like 
feeling horrible. We all, I don't think, um, you know, felt our best and just started drinking and eating. And then pretty much it was like a little over 24 hours of just vomiting everything that I ate, everything that I drank, couldn't keep water down all night was just horrible. And that's when kind of the plan became clear, you know, what had to happen. Um, Lucas, you know, Mohammed was feeling it. I don't know if, if Mohammed had some responsibilities. He had to jump off. I think he might still be around. Uh, Mohammed had um, improved, but was, you know, still wondering like how he was doing and people, everybody started talking about Lucas just going for it. And, you know, to the, to his credit, as far as like caring about us, like didn't want to, he didn't want to go. And so, you know, we kind of had to convince him like, Hey, you know, success for this team <laughs> is you going for the summit. Like you, you have to, uh, more than, more than anything. And, and Muhammad was game to make a, make a go. And it was actually his, um, addition to the plan was like, if I go, we're going straight to the summit from camp two. And, um, I'll, is I, that traditional, uh, that you would go from camp two to summit? People do. You, there is a camp three that people stay at. Um, it's really uh, hit or miss. You know, sometimes people go from camp two. The reason being is camp three is at over 19,000 feet. And it's just so hard to breathe up there for most people that you don't really get that much yeah. rest. And so a lot of times people just try to make that push from camp two. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's probably, I don't know, it's a mixed bag of who does what, but, um, but yeah, our thing was, let's just make the push and, and put it in and, and, and do it. And, uh, so Muhammad you, was game for that. You, it's over three, what, what are you like over 3000 feet still remaining, right? Yeah, we were at eight, just over 18,000. The summit's just under 23,000. So yep. Just over 3000 feet. And how many us. miles do you know in that push? Uh, I'm not sure how many miles it is. Um, I don't, yeah, I'm not sure, but it, it, it's but a good it, trek. Yeah. That's, that's a big push regardless. Now, how many days in are you now? Uh, let's see at this point, we are probably 10 days 10. in, I think. Yeah. Cause we, yeah, once we got down, we spent a night at base camp packed up and then went out uh, the following day. I mean, Muhammad stayed at camp two after the summit and then went, yeah. So it was like 10 days in. So you and Muhammad decide to push on from camp two. Yep. Yeah. We started at what? I think we 2 a.m. or something like that. Um, weather held and, up uh, for you guys? Weather was perfect. Yeah. We couldn't have asked for a better day, honestly. It was crazy. Because like, that'd be the best summer day. Oh my gosh. Best conditions. Nobody else on the mountain. I mean, wind Nobody. was at a minimal, which is crazy for Aconcagua. Um, Muhammad was feeling a lot better that day. I mean, he was still, I, I don't, he had an insane effort. Like he was, he was, he had been throwing up basically every other day along, you know, going up to at this point. And, uh, but when he was moving, he'd feel good again. And then he'd like have another crappy day and I'd kind of nurse him back a little bit, give him a bunch of water. We, our rest day at camp too, you know, and, he was like, man, and he just started feeling better again. And he was like, all right, yeah, I'm going to try to at least attempt, you know, try to make the push. And so we went off for it. And I mean, he just kept trudging along. Once he was moving, he felt a lot better. Um, and then once we got to high altitude, like what, 20, right under 22,000, 
I started feeling it then. And I was like, you know, getting that kind of walking drunk kind of feeling like, whoa, this is kind of wild. And, um, you know, so I know like Muhammad was feeling that long before me and he was still was gonna just add, along. Add to Lucas that, um, like I, I use prosthetics. I mean, it's kind of like a, I can get to a cafe in, in prosthetics. I'm such a high level hip disarticulation and above knee. And, but I use an above knee prosthesis and, um, you know, Aconcagua non, non-technical mountain, but like, there's some tricky, there's some tricky spots there. And there's some like yeah. steep little rocky sections where, um, if you go, you're not stopping for a while. Uh, yeah. and, and like, you know, like many, many tech sections and just to watch Muhammad get through those, I mean, going up and going down, you know, it's hard for me kind of on, on my butt to, to feel stable and navigate some of these and just, with your, with your, you use a prosthesis and you've got a, especially with like a big boot on, um, it's just kind of like this, this lever that you're sticking out there and kind of hoping it, it holds, you know, right. on yeah, what it's, it's on. Weight. You don't have your with, ankle flexing to the contour and I was blown away. Mm-hmm. Um, and with Muhammad too, with his condition, he doesn't really have any hip uh, flexion, right? Or like muscles to flex his hip. It's basically swing weight for his uh his his smaller leg so um basically with his prosthetic every step he's swinging it forwards and so that adds you know even more to the challenge because he doesn't have that articulation in his hip um and so he's just swinging it forwards and his his prosthetic it's pretty burly one it's kind of heavy and it all it has a knee articulation though. And, you know, so he's just kind of trudging along with that. We gave him a couple poles to use. And then I was carrying his crutches just in case like his leg broke. And he was like, all right, if I really need something to get out of here, I need to get on my crutches. Um, fortunately I didn't happen, but yeah, I mean, inch by inch, like the way down was probably even more challenging for him than the way up. Cause he literally had to just kind of sidestep every step using his prosthetic going down. So his right. knee didn't give out on him. Right. Um, so yeah, that was, that was pretty incredible watching that. It was pretty cool. So you guys, you, you, you two were able to summit. And uh, yep. if I remember, uh, you ran into, you ran into some issues on the uh, descent, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I believe it was due to food poisoning. Uh, we ran into some issues, both uh, Andre and I, I think everybody was feeling some type of kind of crummy that day but uh we, yeah we had back at base camp we had some what like chicken or something and I guess it was not good and uh I the next day I started feeling like we this was our long push out from base camp all the way out and uh man I just started feeling like crap you know we're going through this long valley it's like I don't know a 20 mile out or something going through this long valley slogging through and it comes midday or so all of a sudden, like we, we come to a stop and I'm just like, what is going on with me? Andre and Brian are off to the side. I was kind of hiking alone. And then all of a sudden I just go, what? Just projectile vomit all over the place. I was like, <laughs> we were, holy we were probably a few hundred meters away from him. Kind of in the valley, we'd get all spread out. It's just like, it's just a death march. You know, there might be some footage of this piece. somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So I, well, I see Lucas stand up and I pull out my GoPro, but of course I'm so far away, but it's like, he's backlit projectile vomiting like <laughs> seven oh, or man. 10 times. And um, oh, we, we all, it was kind of, it was kind of crazy that the, you know, the day before one of our party had been medevaced from base camp with uh, 
with a pulmonary uh, edema and you know I, I had this you know splitting headache coming down and was kind of worried like should I be staying up here at camp too another night uh, but once I came down I felt fine and everything from there was was just great and and so we just thought like uh, whatever he's just vomiting like we've all done it um, oh, but man, that, it was the I've never vomited this one <laughs> I was like how is I was like all right I guess I needed to get something out I mean I was like that was crazy well felt a little so, better well so from, from our from our perspective just real quick where, where this kind of started getting serious was you know we went over we chatted with with Lucas and he's like you know I think it's something I ate and, but he's you know talking and it sounds like he got it out or whatever so at the end of this big valley is a huge ravine before you get to Confluencia, which is the last um, camp before there's 7K from there out. And this big ravine is kind of slow for me. So we forge ahead. This is Brian, my buddy, and, and me. And, you know, Muhammad, I think, was kind of bringing up the rear and, and you know, soon to be Lucas. So we, uh, we headed out yeah. forward. We go to the bottom of this ravine. Um, we had passed a ranger in like plain clothes who was like finding a, a mule. There's a mule loose. And we go to the bottom of the ravine. There's a little bit of a, a heavy river you cross. And we're waiting and waiting and waiting. And then I see this guy coming down this trail, which is a very just dusty but narrow with a steep drop on the side. And there, he's got no pack on, a t-shirt, and is like stumbling, <laughs> bumbling down this trail. And I go, I go, Brian, oh my God, is that Lucas? And he's like, no, no, that was just that ranger, you know, because then it kind of made sense. Like, okay, it looks a little different than we're expecting for Lucas or whatever. And then all of a sudden, just a big curse out of Brian, just, oh my God, that is Lucas. Because he's got no pack. He's like barely walking, you know, let alone walking straight. And he looks just totally discombobulated, just uh, incoherent. And so Brian runs up there to kind of check on him. And we're like, what the hell is going on? So he got to the bottom. Um, he had given Muhammad his pack. I think you were like, it's not like you weren't there at all or anything yeah, like so, that. So you just were feeling this, it. Yeah, to fill in before that. <laughs> it was kind of like the, uh, the, the latter part of that, like the, from the first time that I had my first vomiting attack um i'm like okay i i think i feel better you know I'm, I'm carrying a good bit of weight in my pack and uh and i'm just like i'm just gonna keep going like okay okay cool we got that over with um so i feel a little better start going and then i just man i don't know I, like 10 minutes later i just start feeling like shit again and i'm just like what the hell is going on and i'm walking along and uh and I think we stopped one more time, probably like an hour later or something like that. And Muhammad was behind me and I just sit down and I'm just like, okay, what, like, is this going to happen again? Like, but I'm feeling okay. Kind of okay. I kind of weak though. I go to stand up and take one step forwards and just, just projectile again. I mean, it was like, what I took like one sip of water and it was just like, I don't know how, like, once again, I don't know how I had all that in me. And Muhammad at that point was like, dude, like something's wrong. <laughs> you know, I was like, no, dude, I think I'm all right. Like, I'm feel better now again. I'm just going to do, we just got to get the hell out of here, you know? And, uh, I didn't want to give over my pack to Muhammad because, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm carrying some of his gear and stuff. And, 
um, some extra food and stuff like that. And he's, you know, cause he's already, he's got like some chafing going on and stuff with his leg. And so I just don't want to give him extra weight, but he's like, he was like, give me the effing pack right now. <laughs> and so, so I was like, all right. Yes, sir. So I, I took the pack off and, and gave it to him. And I'm really glad, you know, I did because I mean, literally I had a, a, a pole with me, fortunately, a, a hiking pole. And I just started stumbling. Like I was like crossing my legs, like Muhammad could have, you know, would it could test this. Like, I was just like, Whoa, like out of it. And I do this for another I don't know, another hour or something before we got to Andre. And right before that, before that big ravine, I stopped again. Muhammad catches up to me and I'm just like, you know, I don't know. I was just out of it. Dizzy, probably flush. I could barely keep any liquids down. I kind of started to, Muhammad was trying to feed me some like electrolyte stuff. And then I go to stand up, take one step and again, just projectile all over. I, and I, I don't know how, like I wasn't diminished to nothing at that point. I don't know how I still had stuff in me, but uh, go down the ravine, meet Andre and Brian. And uh, we're like, all right, we got to get to this next camp, Camp Valencia. I was just like, that's what we got to do. Oh, my mind was set on it. I got to make it there. there. There's a ranger station there. And uh, so I'm like, guys, I'm just going to go that's ahead. That's going to be the first time you're, you're going to get any, any sort of medical assistance. Yeah. And this is, oh man, I don't know how many hours into the day this was. Um, well, I was probably getting on, you know, four after four or five o'clock, I think sun's, um, we had a couple hours, probably a few hours till sunset. But the yeah. other thing is that the, you know, we had at base camp, our plan was to hike out that day. So everything important, you know, besides like day use and a couple, like not even really good emergency um preparedness uh everything is on the mules and so it was at the park entrance um you know that morning so we had no yeah. no bivvies um you know we had some warm warmer clothes but it was going to be an exposed night if we didn't get there yeah you yeah. had a lot of pressure getting down now totally yeah i mean because we're like oh yeah you know we can make that down i mean it was in it, it, it wouldn't have been that big of a deal i mean it would have been a big day for us but not that big of a deal had this, uh, these other issues, you know, come about. And uh, yeah, so I'm just like, guys, I got to get the hell out of here. And I use all my energy, everything that I can muster to get out of this ravine and just trudge ahead and then stumble into this camp that was like probably another, I don't know, half mile or so down. And um, I just, I get to this ranger station and I just like see this guy outside and I'm, and I'm just like, help (laughs) i'm not like this like no bueno you know this is not good and uh using my very broken spanish you know and i'm just like um you know i've got the photo i've got the photo from when we get there of you know lucas just looks dead on a table he probably he probably didn't need to he didn't need to have the language to project what was going on, right? Oh, yeah. This guy, like, <laughs> saw, thought he saw a ghost or something. You know? like, just looking at the, the, the expression on his face, I could tell what condition I was in. And I was like, oh, man, this, this might be bad. Um, so, yeah, I passed out, like, immediately. I just say, hey, like, he had, like, a little um, little bench thing. And I just, like, basically just passed out. I was like, there's two other – or there's three other guys coming, you know, Um you know, my buddies are coming, please like watch out for them, you know? And, um, I, and I just like basically passed out and, uh, he kind of fed me some, some fluids and some liquid or some, uh, I think he had some fruit and stuff. 
And uh, it got to the point, you know, where like, well, there wasn't that much more to go, but it was still kind of like some technical terrain. And we had what, like, it was only like four miles to the trailhead at that point. But um, I just was feel I had no energy. I tried to stand up and tried to move and I just, I couldn't go more than like 20 feet and uh, without feeling like I was going to collapse. And well, like I said, we, we got there and, and Lucas was basically like dead on the table. I mean, it was just like <laughs> mutter, muttering a few things. And I, I started feeling a little effects of it earlier that day. We we're just coming up this little draw and like, I just had no energy. And so after we met Lucas at that river and he used all his energy to get out of that ravine, I did the same. Like I was getting towards the top and like, I almost couldn't keep going. I was so exhausted and I just, couldn't figure out why why would I be so tired like it was a big day but we had big days for the last 30 days and uh Which probably had a lot to do with it yeah I mean how many yeah people, well right? probably too hiking, uh, or climbing a uh, you know 23,000 foot peak with 130 miles of biking on for how many days prior yeah that's true yeah, that's, I think it definitely yeah. all it was a lot on the all, body but typically you start feeling a little better as you go down though you know you get more oxygen in the blood you're like all right you know you might be tired but your body starts to rejuvenate at least a little bit once you start descending you know especially from from that altitude and so I was just like god yeah there's something wrong like this is not this is not good and then Andre and Muhammad and Brian were going to start going um and I was like basically at this point we're like okay we might need to call in a helicopter to get me out of here to get some a medical attention and uh so that was decided i was i tried my best to stand up and i was like can i keep moving and it was basically no i was like there's four miles to go like well how can i not you know do this <laughs> but uh i was i stood up was like i'm gonna collapse and uh so we called a helicopter in and then andre uh at that point andre was gonna go with the other two guys and then like what i don't know 20 minutes later he comes back in and he's like dude, there's no way. Like he was, he started feeling the effects too. And I think we're, we're 99% sure that it was food poisoning. I don't know what else it would be. Um, but we, uh, the other two guys went ahead and we waited, we called in the helicopter for both of us at that point, And we just waited on that and got airlifted out. Um, it was not, four it, miles. It, yeah, four mile helicopter ride. Like it's still pretty cool, yeah. but base camp, base rad. camp would have been the smart move uh, had we known. It was it right. was crazy though because we we had global um, global rescue, um, but the ranger was having a hard time communicating with anybody there. The night was coming and the helicopter won't fly after uh, sunset or after dusk. Um, and so it got a little confusing and like I had shoved off to go and then just got that like nauseous saliva filling and the chills. And I just, I just thought of myself in the middle of the night, you know, like huddled up in a ravine. Um, and, and so anyways, we flew down, we got in the ranger station down there. I was on the phone with global rescue who was already like saying they weren't going to pay because they're not an insurance. They arrange evacuations and weren't able to make the arrangement. Would have been the same exact helicopter, same exact pilot. Um, so I, I put the phone down and, you know, started, you know, puking for like 10 <laughs> solid minutes into a garbage bag. So this guy on the phone, the agent is hearing everything. Like I couldn't even hold up this garbage bag. I had it, I had it sitting on the ground filling up. It was like a 
20 gallon bag. And, um, and then we went to a hospital basically because I thought we had to, we basically knew it was food poisoning. Everybody on the team had some, you know, gastrointestinal like issues, stomach issues. And, uh, yeah, it was like 4am before we got to hotel in Mendoza that night. And it was a rough end. It was was a rough end. (laughs) Even the hospital was was another saga. I mean, they wanted all this money from us and we were there for what like three hours and in that time we weren't given any water nothing uh and they basically were just telling us it was altitude sickness and we're just like no that's bs it's not we just we were fine up there came down we were feeling better and then all of a sudden this onset we're like this is not due to the altitude so they wanted to give us all this altitude medication i'm like no that's not what i'm dealing with it was it was so crazy i mean um it was almost like a third world country kind of experience like just with the medic the medical care um or lack thereof and uh the guy didn't know how to read like a um a heart rate monitor he he was like looking at my blood pressure or something and thinking he was like oh my gosh what's going on i was like no we got a couple weird things from that doctor uh, man it was so weird i was like no that's my heart rate and he go and he was like oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) but it was was like oh my gosh the main concern really like at that point was was money too because they you know they're like global rescue wasn't going to pay for a helicopter and then you know i had jumped in um so it was like you know you it costs each of us the same a lot of money and then we get to the hospital and they want to put us under 24-hour surveillance and we need to give we need to pay them and I'm like, there's no way we're going to get this back from our insurance when we get home. So just like adding up all that money and just thinking, let's just get out of, get out of here. Get the hell out. Yeah, because we, we, we were already we were both, feeling a little better. I mean, it yeah. was a long drive. Like we got a lot of fluids on the drive to the hospital and time was definitely making us feel better. So we didn't think we weren't going to wake up in our, in our bed or anything. Yeah, we were just like, we're, we can go chill out in a room somewhere, you know, get a hotel and chill out and just relax and like, just deal with the discomfort, you know, until it gets better. And that was basically, we're like, yeah, I think like, we'll be fine. And so that's what we ended up doing. And we, yeah, it worked out just fine. And then it was just five and then it was just five days of uh, hanging out in Mendoza with Muhammad getting progressively more anxious about getting home to his family <laughs> and children. I uh, see he's, he's back with us now. And we, we got out of there. I mean, we got out of there the day they shut down travel from Europe. I believe two days later, Argentina shut down. Um, we, were, we were down in Patagonia. We met a couple guys who basically they got locked in Argentina in a small flat um, for many months. So we, we wow. got pretty lucky. Did you guys um, have any sense of what was happening here in the States with, uh, with the pandemic at that oh, point? Oh, no, not at all. No. I mean, we, <laughs> no. we, after the mountain, we were at a restaurant the next night and there's a guy from uh, Milan, Italy, sitting next to us. And, and so we're kind of chatting with him a bit. And, you know, February 4th, we left and there was less activity and sort of from Asia travel in uh, SFO in San Francisco. And so there was like definitely something going on, but this was still totally a, a, a Chinese um, yeah. illness. And this this guy from Milan just like wouldn't shut up about Corona, you know, or like eating dinner and he's just going on. And I'm like, it, it just sounded so like buzzword, you know, oh, he's still talking about Corona. And then it sort of started dawning on us like, oh my God, like they're shutting 
you know, travel yeah, down. I, and we had been out of the loop for the last, you know, solid week and a half on the mountain, like getting no information. Really, we didn't really have much on the bike ride either because we had very limited resources and internet. And so, like, we didn't really know it was much of a that big of a deal. And then we rebooked our flight, well, like four days earlier. And I was talking with one of the flight attendants at the airport and she's like, yeah, like Argentina just shut down uh, travel to and from the United States. So you are on like one of the last flights out of the country. So, I mean, we, we had, didn't even know, you know, it was March that was the case. 16th, I think something around there. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I got back and worked a day up in Jackson and then they shut down. I'm a ski instructor up there and then they shut down the resort the very next day. Like I worked one day when I got back and then I was suited up, ready to go to work. And they're like, Hey, we're shutting it down. Dang. That's is a, it's a big deal. So. Yeah. You guys were, uh, you were probably better off not, not, uh, getting involved in all that early pandemic chaos that was happening all over the media oh no bikes and mountains are way yeah. better places <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. much better We're like let's get back up on the mountain <laughs> well yeah. you know that that raises a question when you say get back so um i know you've got another you know big adventure planned and you're working toward that i'm curious what you guys are uh you know what what you're doing on a daily weekly basis for training now uh, yeah, trying to, trying to step it up. I mean, I, I, you know, like total full honesty here. I went on a bike ride Thanksgiving, um, eh, kind of hard 30 miles, but like broken after it. I mean, I, I definitely am suffering for fitness. I've been so busy, um, with, with work and, and there's like so much going on right now, especially with trying to get the resources and um, keep this project going forward. So like between that and, and, uh, and work being extremely busy, like I'm finding myself right where I was before heading to South America, which is like sun up till sundown or till bed. I mean, we're talking like 5am to 10pm. It's just getting stuff done. And there it's like, where does the training fit in? Um, it's, it's kind of not, not possible. So, uh, getting a, an indoor trainer here, uh, Wahoo sending um, each of us one so we oh, can wow. hopefully like do a better job of it. I've like totally gone through. I used my day yesterday, my garage, get it cleaned out. I've got rock rings in there for pull-ups um, just to make it like more right in front of my face so that 10 minute workout, you know, can happen like several times in the day when a two hour ride just isn't you know isn't finding its way in so that's that's my uh horror story of of training <laughs> i'll let the other guys share there i know lucas is getting out there yeah for me i think it's uh it's uh it's definitely a lifestyle for me of just getting out most days if, uh, and doing something basically every day um you know i do uh, either whether, whether it's yoga or uh some body weight exercises but normally I'm, if I can be on the mountains, that's where I am, like definitely. And that, I make that a pretty high priority. And sometimes it, sometimes other things are maybe fall to the wayside, unfortunately, but uh, that's just like, it's a, it's an integral part of who I am is getting in the mountains and, and uh, skiing, you know, now we got snow up in Jackson. So I get out and I've been some, doing some backcountry skiing before the resort opens again. And um, I go on runs, bike rides. Um, yeah, I'm basically, I, I try to get at it every day if I can do something just to 
be out. Like I get jittery. I get kind of antsy if I don't, then I can't concentrate on anything, you know? So I kind of need that um, release, I guess. Um, and Muhammad's back. What, what's your, what's your fitness fatty? <laughs> <laughs> I also don't have a family Matt. either. So I'm, I'm fortunate in that. I guess that right now in my life, I don't have many responsibilities outside of myself really. <laughs> Yeah, uh, for me since March, it's been kind of downhill. I mean, we have a lot of stuff going on. We had to move to a new place three months ago, uh, managing three kids. Uh, I mean, just like spending a lot of time on Zoom with the kids and uh, trying to build that routine. I don't have the same time that I used to have before for myself to do things. Uh, but I'm learning how to try to work around my kids' schedule, my school schedule, and try to have those little bit of workouts every day. As your 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 podcast, no no zero day, try to do that and bring that that uh, that uh, idea to my to my day day to day. Because once you start the day, just you you, you can't you can't find time to work out. But if you plan ahead like the day before i'm gonna squeeze in like 30 minutes or an hour before the day starts or after the kids sleep or at lunchtime so it's not easy but uh, i'm trying to be better at that yeah no i get it of course you know and yeah and i i think there's uh you know we we've all been there we get challenged in our lives with different distractions and and uh, obligations um, and when kids are young, you know, I, I, you know, I was that dad I mean, I didn't want to miss, uh, any of yeah. my kids events. And I, you know, not only do you not want to miss them, but you end up coaching them, right. You know, you're involved in all kinds of ways. And, uh, so, uh, you know, they, they had a game, you know, when they were warming up, I might've been running around the outside of the field or something, trying to get my run in that day, um, <laughs> but not take away from them, you know? Yeah. You definitely have to be you have to be creative, you know, I mean, I, I've been working full time always, you know, through all of these events, you know, when I did race across America, I might've been biking 800 miles, you know, six to 800 miles a week for the last eight weeks before the race. It was like fitting that in around, you know, 40 hours a week. These days works a bit more than, than 40 hours a week. So it's getting a bit more challenging, but that's, you know, one of the reasons why, I mean, Lucas has like the lifestyle, you know, choice like that was a big part of you know him moving out you know to the to the west and um this is a little more seamless sort of in his life of course he's the youngin of the group too so that's uh <laughs> one of the benefits but um you know I, I we what we are trying to do is is huge you know i mean even plucking you know one of these a year is is such a ma massive physical endeavor uh, so just trying to find ways to kind of open up some time to devote um, to it we've all done some pretty big hard things um, you know while managing the rest of the life so like we're up to the challenge but it's also that next level challenge where you know we have to climb a mountain after spending a lot of money and you know 30 days on our bikes at full charge to get there and so we need to get to that next level of fitness so that you know, that could have made the difference for me on Aconcagua being that, that a little bit uh, more in shape. Uh, so I wasn't expending as much energy as, as I did getting to camp too. Um, those little, 
those little differences, you know, those margins, like we got to be on top of it. Um, if we're going to pull this off and we're pretty committed to pulling this off. So, you know, we're spending a lot of time trying to, trying to figure that all out. Well, it's improve. not just that. Cause you, you, you guys had mentioned, we were chatting earlier. Uh, you've got a foundation started as well that you're, you're putting time and focus in. Do you mind sharing a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, I guess, especially on the, on the sort of legal paperwork and things I've been spending, you know, most time on that. Um, but a lot of it has been sort of the three of us and, and our board, you know, really building the foundation, um, the foundation of the foundation, you know, starting with sort of our why. And I guess the, the, the basic, you know, why for, I think all three of us, um, especially Mohammed um, coming from, from Morocco and having a bit of a different experience and experiencing what it's like in the States. I mean, I got hit by a train and then I had the most amazing family, the most amazing community and, and a country where we're basically championed, you know, as people with, with disabilities. I mean, a lot of things could be better here, but it's about as good as it gets. Um, and, you know, we've been around, around the world and come across other people that, that certainly don't have it as well and met families um, and, and parts of the world we're going to be traveling through, um, you know, some of them don't even register kids born with disabilities as, you know, citizens, they don't get a national ID, their, their family by that society is maybe seen as cursed, um, in other places, they're just expected to be beggars, um, there's little hope, there's little resources, and there's, um, not a very supportive, uh, outlook on the society around them. So while we're taking on this global, you know, challenge, we feel that that in itself will have a positive effect because of the global nature of it. And because we're out there in many rural areas, we feel that we'll have um, interactions and, and sort of a, an audience that, that will be changing their perspective. I was telling you earlier, like racing these kids on bikes in rural Argentina, like they've probably never seen that. They've probably never been dusted by a guy with no legs on a bike and even though they don't have disability, that little girl in their town does. And, and maybe that helps the way they see, see her uh, potential. So beyond, beyond that, um, we want to help individuals uh, kind of become the ripple in their society. And, you know, we've seen, I've seen guys that are like probably stronger than me, you know, in like Tanzania that's, you know, live in an orphanage and can't get down a dirt road to, to school so everything um all the potential all the hope like is basically cut off right there where they have this very small surrounding and nobody around them that that maybe believes what they what they can achieve so if there's an expert around on getting across challenging terrain in a wheelchair like i might be that guy lucas has a lot of insights um from his perspective and muhammad on his so we want to help individuals um with adaptive equipment and some of a support of, of our, our network and our hope is to focus on an individual and make a big, as big a change in their life as possible, rather than kind of coming up with a, you know, like a, a quick, easy sort of wheelchair build that we can spread to the masses um, because, you know, people need that as well. But we want to do is really empower some individuals to, to, uh, to show what's possible in their part of the world. And so it's kind of multi-layered on how we approach it, um, but we're really embracing kind of the inspiration. We've all, we've all um, 
gotten where we are by uh, role models and, and inspiration of others and kind of leveled up on that. And we think that's, that is the human spirit, you know, standing on the shoulders of those who came uh, before you. That's, that's why people have achieved what they've achieved. So we're a big part of our emphasis is creating um, films about our expeditions and about other uh, people around the world's stories to share that through sort of the medium of film. Yeah, you know, I, I said it before, yeah. you guys are probably leaving a trail of inspiration or you're not even aware of, you know, behind you. Has the foundation been named yet? Is there a place where people can, can look for Yeah, this? you can go to lowesthighest.org, so Lowest Highest Foundation. Um, our, our project started with the uh, me not really wanting to name our project because it's like, we're just, you know, three guys out there trying to do this thing. So it was Blam, Brian, Lucas, Andre, Muhammad. Um, <laughs> and then as we needed to like have an Instagram, uh, it's, you know, finding a handle and all that. And then, uh, yeah. and then lowest highest is like available everywhere, the URL, the, the handles. And so we just went with that. So it's at least a bit more descriptive. So the lowest highest uh, foundation. Lowest highest foundation. And you guys, yeah. uh, if, if folks want to be able to, Folly, I know you've got a Facebook page. Is it Lowest Highest there as well? Do, does anybody know? Do we, yeah, yeah, uh, Lowest yeah. Highest, yeah. And then the uh, and then of course your the website is uh, Instagram, lowesthighest.org, right? Correct. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I wanna, yeah, I think uh, going off going off that just a little piece too, like just another thought to tack on about the foundation, like yeah. just going off of the thought that mobility is a human right you know, is something I think that we all believe in. And that's, uh, we want to see people mobile and not, you know, in, but, but in, in accessible ways, like using gear that fits them. You know, I think Muhammad can speak to that. He started off on a wooden leg that didn't even fit him, you know, but that was how he became mobile. Uh, so that's, that's part of Muhammad's story in life, uh, growing up in that situation. And, um, you know, we want to see that Muhammad growing up with a leg that actually fits that, you know, maybe he can get walking uh, to school earlier or riding a bike earlier, you know, and, and playing with with the, the other fellow kids and peers earlier and yeah, to become mobile. So I think that's that's where our basis is, is it's a human right. It's not and it's a tragedy to see somebody not be able to move, you know, because they don't have access or funding for a, a proper prosthetic yeah. or wheelchair. Yeah. 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 The mobility piece is empowering for sure. I think yeah. you guys, um, you're doing incredible, incredible uh, achievement from a, you know, from an adventure and, and physical stamina standpoint. Um, but you know, what, what you're doing on the, on the humanity side is, is, is probably even a bigger legacy. So, uh, it's it's really awesome. I want to um, I want to thank you guys for taking time to uh, to share your story, um, share parts of the adventure, and uh, and and give folks a sense as to uh, where they can where they can look and follow because I know there's there's bigger and better to come as well. Uh, but it's been a real pleasure being able to spend a few minutes with you guys and and get to know you all a bit better. I hope that uh, maybe the future gives us an opportunity to get out there and do some training uh, together at some point. Lucas, I'll be looking for you again this year at Jackson. Um, yeah, maybe, man. Maybe we can get a day on the mountain together. Look Andre, forward to seeing you up there. 
Yeah, Andre Mohammed, uh, it's Thank been you. a real pleasure. Look forward to staying in touch with you guys and, and watching further adventures. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, yeah. Ed. Thank, Thank you, you Sam. for having us. All right, man. You guys be well. You too, Bye. man. Thank you. See you guys. Bye.